Turn to the book of Ezra. Ezra in the Old Testament. Uh, the book of Ezra. And you might have noticed we have had a number of messages from uh, the Kings and the Chronicles over the last number of months. If you want to know where I'm studying, this that's where the messages are coming from. And uh, and so the uh, the book of Ezra... Really, the book of Chronicles, Ezra, First Second Chronicles, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, tell a continuing story, and um, it's it's one continuous story. And uh, the book of Ezra here begins in 539 BC with Cyrus, the king of Persia, who conquered Babylon, and a, uh, a decree that he makes. Ezra chapter number 1. You found that? Stand with me out of respect for the Word of God. And stand and show your respect. Here we go. Verse number 1. I'll begin reading. You join me on verse 2. I'll read verse 3 and we'll finish. Uh, and, uh, and then we'll read together 4. And then finish on verse 5. So I'll start. We'll read responsibly. I just said that backwards, didn't I? I said we was going to start together. Let's start together. All right? And then I'll read verse 2. That way we'll finish on verse 5. Are you ready? Starting together. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him an house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. And let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth, in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. Turn with me to chapter number 3. I have some comments, uh, but I'm going to let you be seated, then I'll start my comments. How about that? Ezra chapter number 3, and look down at the end of the book. beginning at verse number 11. And uh, we're going to read... Uh, uh, we're going to read these three verses in unison, all right? 11, 12, and 13. Together, please. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because He is good, for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites 
and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. I want to speak to you on the subject this morning, building and rebuilding. Building and rebuilding. Heavenly Father, I yield myself to you the the best I know how. I ask, Father, for your Holy Spirit to fill me. Please fill me and give me thy power to communicate thy truth to thy people. And sweet Spirit that doth dwell within thy people here, uh, tune the ears and minds and hearts of your people to receive the truth. Uh, Lord, uh, we have your perfect book in front of us and help us to receive it. And it's truth into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. We read in the first five verses of chapter 1 how that Cyrus, king of Persia, was led to send a delegation of people back to Israel, to their homeland, and specifically to Jerusalem, to rebuild their center of worship. Now, other world powers, the Syrians, for example, who conquered the northern kingdom, Babylonians conquered the southern kingdom, and uh, and then the uh, Persians conquered the Babylonians. But these different world empires would have their own philosophy, if you will, of governance. Uh, some of the earlier world empires, their philosophy was uh, to... Uh, 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 take people away from their home and and then send other peoples from other nations they'd conquered back to that area to repopulate that area. And the, the effort was to uh, destroy nationalism, the love of country and the loyalty and affiliation that one uh, feels or has with the land. With the you have it. You, you, some of you went back home for Christmas, and you had Gucci Goo feelings when you went back. Oh, hey, that's where I used to play on the playground, and that's where we jumped off and broke our neck uh, in the creek and so forth like that. And anyway, uh, but that, that those familiar places, and so some of these uh, world empires would have that kind of philosophy. Cyrus came into power, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, he saw the, uh, uh, the importance and uh, the priority of, of restoring uh, some of that uh, freedom, and uh, not so much an iron fist, so to speak, I guess you might say, uh, but uh, to, to win the loyalty of the people. Uh, he still was a world empire and uh, still uh, exercised authority over them, but he, he said uh, that, that your, your uh, uh, religion is important to you, and so go back and, 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 and rebuild your temple and reestablish your worship. And so Jeremiah the prophet, as is mentioned here, had, had predicted this before the nation fell. Jeremiah, the man of God, bought a piece of property. And he, and he said, I'm buying this property. He's preaching, submit to Babylon. And for it, they called him a traitor. He's an Israelite, of course. And he says, submit to Babylon, because he knew Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar Babylon was God's uh, 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 chastisement of his people, 
and that God had told him it cannot and will not be avoided. I, you are going to you are going into captivity. You will be exiled from your land, and and so Jeremiah was. Don't make it harder on yourself by resisting. This is God's plan. I've preached to you. All these prophets before me have preached to you. If you serve idols, God's going to judge you. Now the judgment has come. Don't make it worse on yourself. And they did not listen to Jeremiah. They called him a traitor. They stuck him in a dungeon. And they might have kept their temple even. We don't know for certain, of course. But they might have uh, had they not resisted. They listened to the man of God. Jeremiah bought a piece of property as if to say, I'm buying property because one of these days I'm coming back here. And my uh, my uh, family, my offspring, children, maybe grandchildren will, will use this property. And, and he did that as an illustration uh, that God was going to restore them after the captivity. But, uh, uh, but, but they, uh, because of a state of rebellion that the nation was in, uh, for a, a, a total of 490 years. 490 years. Now, Israelites, Israel, the t- northern ten tribes, you remember Rehoboam, grandson of David, son of Solomon, Rehoboam, split the nation. It was a united nation, uh, 12 tribes, and uh, he split it. And uh, Tim left him because he wanted to rule with an iron fist like his dad Solomon. And only two remained. And so now then thereafter it would be the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom most often referred to as Israel. The southern kingdom most often referred to as Judah. The Israelites, they had no good kings. For the next hundreds of years, they had no good kings. They, they lived in a state of rebellion from the very first leader. They had Jeroboam. They set up golden calf worship. And it was all the heathen stuff that went with idol worship. Israel was in and out of it. Israel had uh, uh, 19 kings, excuse me, Judah, the southern king, had 19 kings. And they had, uh, they had about, uh, uh, about five or six that were good. Some of them were really, really good. There were several revivals in those centuries. But in the end, Judah too turned wholly over to idolatry having neglected, listen carefully, having neglected the sabbatical years for 490 years. Now the sabbatical year was a law that God had given to His people which said they were, they were an agricultural society. The seventh year, God said, you don't uh, uh, till the ground, you don't plant. For on the seventh year, the land rests. And you trust me. There's a great lesson about faith in this. You trust me that in year six, I will provide enough for you that you will have store for the seventh year and enough store to get you started into that next year because obviously you don't just plant and food comes up right away. So they had to have enough for the entire seventh year and then store until the weather changed. They could get crops in the ground and start uh, harvesting the crops and so forth. And so the seventh year. Now, Israel said, that doesn't sound very smart. We can't do that. doesn't even make sense. That's pretty much the state that America is living in right now. We've enjoyed the abundance of God, but we do not acknowledge Him where our blessings have come from. And uh, and God is no respecter of persons. Certainly, if He would bring judgment to Israel, He will bring judgment to America if she continues. 490 years. Now, the seventh year was a sabbatical year that was dedicated to the Lord as a time of rest for the land to rest. 
and that was to be the Lord's. For 490 years, they rebelled against that, and God finally sent them into captivity, into exile. They came, and uh, if they listened to Jeremiah, perhaps it wouldn't have happened as harshly as it did, but they did not. And so Nebuchadnezzar came in two waves. The second time he came, he put a uh, 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 he, he uh, surrounded uh, the city. Uh, he starved the people out, and uh, some of them were literally eating their own children. Uh, that's how bad they got. Starvation drove them mad. And uh, and uh, in the end, their temple was destroyed. The walls of their city was de- were destroyed, and they were uh, uh, the the country was decimated. And uh, so, God kept them in captivity. I'm going to do a little math with you. I think I did this in the last week or two, but do a little math with you. Four hundred ninety years. If every seventh year belongs to the Lord, what is four hundred ninety divided by seven? Seventy. Guess how many years they stayed in captivity. 70. There's a lesson there for us, isn't it? God's going to get what's His, one way or the other. After 70 years, Jeremiah prophesied this. Cyrus, king of Persia, conquers Babylon. And he makes a decree and says, I want to send a delegation back to Jerusalem to rebuild your temple. Now what follows in the uh, in the in the, the, chap, the rest of this chapter and also in the chapter 2 and so forth, uh, he actually gives the leadership of the people. The, the uh, Zerubbabel is mentioned uh, in, uh, in uh, chapter 2 and verse number 2. And by the way, the end of chapter 1, verse number 11, uh, Shezbazar, that's the same person, Zerubbabel, uh, different name, uh, 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 just like Daniel had uh, Babylonian name and Hebrew name. And uh, and so this is the rubble. He he would have been, uh, uh, I think it was maybe the grandson of Jehoiakim, forgive me, but he was in the lineage of the kings. He would have been king, but he's made governor by Cyrus. Uh, had they not lost their freedom, he would have been king. Uh, uh, so rubble, and then Joshua in, in chapter 2, verse 2, is the high priest. These men lead the delegation. And, uh, and the Bible numbers them. We get all the way over to chapter 2 and verse number 64. Chapter 2, verse 64. The whole congregation together was 40 and 2,303 scores. That's a big group of people. And Cyrus uh, calls for the finances to be raised, uh, gives to the cause. The people of God rally and give to the cause. And a group of people go back with the intention of building or rebuilding uh, the, the temple. The temple. Now in chapter 3, we have the story of the foundation being laid. I remember when the foundation of this building was laid. I learned something about construction, a lot about, well, to me a lot, <laughs> not compared to some of you, but to me I learned a lot about construction with the building of this building. And uh, uh, I remember when the foundation was laid and the first row of blocks went up, and I remember thinking, this is so small. I thought it was going to be bigger than this. Then the wall started going up, and I said, this is so big. And uh, it, it looked differently. It, it looks different when the walls start going up. And, uh, when they were pouring this, this building sits uh, on a concrete slab. When they were pouring the slab, somewhere about right here, somewhere about right here, is a nice pair of floor shine shoes. <laughs> but um, I remember the men who was on the deacon board at the time, and uh, 
we, we gathered together. Brother Hamilton, I think you did the video recording. And anyway, just uh, just by way of illustration, I, I felt in my heart, I've never felt anything differently. That one, God wanted me to come and give my life here. And he may change that tomorrow. That's, he's God. He can do whatever he wants to. But he's never put that in my heart. And so I, I, I really feel like that's what God has for me. And so anyway, but to illustrate that in, in, a, in a fresh way, I asked the men to come, and I made a few comments about what I felt like was God's call on my life and what God wanted me to do. And to show that, I just buried a pair of my shoes, took my shoes off and buried them in the concrete. And so there's a little weak spot right there. And uh, if you need a pair of nice dress shoes, they're in there. Uh, but uh, but um, I, I, the, the foundation was laid. Now, here's, here's what I want to show you. At the end of chapter 2, the Bible talks about the ancient men and the young men. Now, how long were they in captivity? Remember, 490 divided by 70, by, by 7 is what? 70. They were in captivity how long? 70 years. So some of those who went into captivity lived all the way through the time of exile. And some of those, the Bible calls them ancient men, they were up in years. If they left when they were 10, they were over there for 70, they're at 80. If they were 20 or 25, they're in their 90s now. And they came back. And they built, began the building, and poured the foundation. Now look at the reaction, chapter 2, verse number 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers. I'm sorry, chapter 3. I, forgive me. Chapter 3. Look at the last sentence of verse 11. Chapter 3. We're all together now. Sorry. Chapter 3, end of verse 11. The foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. This is the occasion. The foundation is put. Nothing's come out of the ground yet, but the foundation is there. Verse 12. So you, okay, so you can see the footprint of the building. You understand that? There's the foundations laid. You can see the foot. There's no walls yet, but you can see where the walls are getting ready to come out of the ground. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, these elderly men who had served in the former temple, that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid, this, the house of God, the temple, the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping. You've heard some of the old men of God, and I've heard numbers of the old men of God take the text from verse number 12. I don't think I've ever preached this text before. I may have been forgotten, but... But I've heard a lot of the old men of God preach the texts. The young men shouted and the old men wept. The young men shouted and the old men wept. And that's exactly what happened. Why? Why did the old men weep and the young men shout? Well, the old men knew what had been lost. The temple would be rebuilt and it would be glorious. But it was never rebuilt to its first glory. The young men, 
It was all brand new. The young men never seen a temple, or at least they were too young to have a memory of it. I'm sure some of them, one, two, and three-year-olds, you know, were taken into captivity, of course. And so they, they didn't have any recollection. They saw the footprint of this temple, and, and they were excited. They were shouting. They were happy. And some of those old men saw it and said, they remembered the days of Solomon's temple before Nebuchadnezzar had destroyed it. And they wept. Here's the difference. One generation was building. One generation was building. Some of you have built houses here. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know something about all the decisions that have to be made and picking out the colors and, and what kind of molding and all the myriad of decisions. By the way, if you ever decide to build a house together, make sure your marriage is strong before you do it. <laughs> Because there's a bunch of decisions to be made, plenty of things to argue about, and I won't take any testimonies just now. But anyway, but uh, uh, but um, but but it's everything's new, and so it's exciting. And and, and what are we going to do this? And how are we going to uh, fashion this? The old men were rebuilding, and there's the difference. One generation was building; another generation was rebuilding. In this room this morning, in this collection of God's people, this group of believers gathered in this auditorium this morning, some of you are building your Christian life. And may I say, there are very few things that bring joy to the heart of your pastor. Like seeing someone build a Christian life for the first time. Now, I'm not talking about a religious life because a lot of folks get saved out of religion. Your Christian life didn't begin when you were baptized as a baby. Uh, that's not anywhere in the Bible. Your Christian life began when you bowed your head, probably a soul winner was sitting next to you or maybe at this altar, or maybe it's your home somewhere and you bowed your head by faith. You took Romans 10, 13 by faith. You called on the name of the Lord Jesus. You asked Him to forgive your sins and save your soul and you were born again into the family of God and everything is is brand new. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creature in Jesus Christ, the Bible said. And nothing is any more exciting to me, very few things as exciting to me as a pastor, as seeing someone who's relatively young of the Lord take yet another step in their Christian life. And, and, I, and, and, and maybe you could talk at night service for the first time. I was like, glory to God, I'll go, I'll go see Brother Hampton in staff meeting the next day and say, hey, did you see who was here? And, uh, and we'll be excited about it. We'll talk about it. We'll rejoice in it. And, 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 and uh, some of you have told me in recent years, uh, first time you ever fasted, first time you ever had a Bible reading schedule, first time you've read through your Bible all the way, and so forth, and these, these uh, steps of growing and, and steps of faith that you take in your Christian life, and, and you're building, and, and you're excited, and, and everything's uh, new to you, and it's a wonderful, wonderful time in, in your Christian life where you're building and building and building, but also sitting in this room with you is a generation who's rebuilding. It's not your first time around. But it's time to hit some reset buttons. It's not your first time to pray, but it's time to get your prayer life back where it ought to be. It's not your first time to read through the Bible, but it's time to get back on your Bible reading schedule. 
It's not your first time to ever get, pass out a gospel track and win a soul to Christ, but it's been a long, long time since you did, and it's time to rebuild. It's time to hit that reset button. Listen, all God's people ought to be doing the same things, and there'll be times in your Christian life where you, 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 once you built, and the truth is, as we get into this book right here, the adversaries come, the enemy comes, discouragement comes, criticism comes, the old flesh fails you, and you, and you have to look at your life and say, wait a minute, it's time to get back up. It's time to rebuild. And this is what's happening. There's a generation there's, that are building, but a generation also is rebuilding. The same work, building and rebuilding. Can I give you some things this morning? How can you build or rebuild? Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. And when the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities... Remember this big crowd, 42,000, some of them. The children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. There was a period of time they had to set up their households. There was a period of time they had to go out, build their homes, start their gardens and so forth like that. And then the Bible said they came together. The people gathered. If you're taking notes or marking your Bible, you might want to circle those phrases. The people gathered as one man. The people gathered as one man. Now you want to build or you want to rebuild. Maybe one time you built a Christian life. You built a good testimony. Maybe your flesh failed you. I mean your your flesh just failed you. Maybe you trusted your flesh too much and it just failed you. And the truth is you came to a season where, where that which you had built had been torn down by a f- failure of the flesh and you had to just sit, make up your mind, am I just going to stay a pile of rubble for the rest of my breathing, the rest of my days on this earth? As long as I breathe, am I going to rebuild? And, and some of you, by God's grace, you said, I'm going to rebuild, I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to get back up again and I'm going to lay again the foundation and build a life for the glory of God. Whether you're brand new at this as a Christian or whether you're in the rebuilding stage of your Christian life, number one, what you need, a united purpose. You need a united purpose. You need a united purpose. Here, all the people, thousands and thousands of them, all the people, they've set up their homes and so forth. Now they come to Jerusalem. They come to the place where God's uh, temple will be rebuilt, where God's house will be rebuilt. And they come together, the Bible says, as one man. May I listen? Listen, if you're brand new in the Lord, if you just got in this thing, or if you've been saved for a long time, and the truth is you're not as faithful as once you were, listen to me. You need to do the same thing as the other group needs to do. You need to find a group of people who are trying to build what you want to build. If you want to build a life that's Christ honor, if you want to build a life whereby you can stand in the judgment seat of Christ one day and hear the Savior say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, then what you need to do is find a group of people who go in the same direction you're going, trying to build the same thing that you're trying to build and stand together with them as one man. That's what you need to do. Ruth had no idea what living for God was all about. No idea. She grew up in Moab. She, she worshipped false gods. And, and she, her mother-in-law, Naomi, out of the will of God for ten years, her husband dies, her boys die. Ruth and Orpah, their husbands were Naomi's two sons, and those boys die, and dad Elimelech dies, and Ruth's going to go back to Bethlehem, go back to the place of God's blessing. 
Naomi's going back, and Ruth says, I want to go with you. And Naomi says, no, you don't, you, you, everything's here. All your family's here. You stay here. And uh, Ruth said, entreat me not to leave thee. Don't tell me not to follow you. Whether thou goest, I will go. Where your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Where you're buried, that's where I'm going to be buried. And let me tell you something. Ruth, as we preached recently again, Ruth became uh, 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 one of the mothers in the, in, in the lineage of Jesus Christ, one of the handful of women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Christ over in Matthew. Uh, Ruth has an exalted place. She wasn't, she wasn't born a Jew. She was from Moab. But God brought her and, and grafted her into the family, so to speak. And she became uniquely used of God. Listen, whether you're just starting or whether you're, you're rebuilding in your life, we all need a united purpose. We need a group of people who are trying to do what we're trying to do, who are trying to go the same direction we're trying to go. Listen, in this age right now, that's what this local New Testament church is all about. Moses, on his way to the promised land, looked at his brother-in-law, Hobab, and he said, Come thou with us, and we will do thee good. Hobab, you ought to come. He was married to Hobab's sister. And he said, Hobab, you ought to come with us. We're headed to the promised land. We're not there yet, but we're on our way. And may I say this, dear friend, if you're young of the Lord, or maybe you got disgruntled somewhere, you've been backslid, or you've been out of the will of God, listen, you come back here. Listen, this is not a perfect church. The only thing perfect about this church is the pastor. I'm sorry, the pastor's wife. No, there's nothing perfect about this church. Not the pastor, not his family, not the leadership. This is a church made of people. And you say, well, I, I want a place I won't get disappointed. Then you found the wrong place. There's not a place where people gather. You won't be eventually disappointed. But I tell you what, there's a group of sincere people here who are striving, trying to go the right direction. And whether it's this place or another like-minded place, you need to be all in with a group of people who are going the right direction. You know why you get in trouble? Because you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. You know why you're not faithful to church? Because your buddies aren't faithful to church. Why don't you get all in with God's people? All in with God's people. In Acts chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible said, the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. We know what happens in the verses that follow. The Holy Ghost comes down. The fire of God, cloven tongues of fire. A wind whips through that prayer meeting. I mean an actual wind, literal wind. Literal cloven tongues of fire. And God put His power on those people and God gave them the miraculous ability to communicate in languages they had not naturally acquired, gave them the gift of tongues, and they were able to preach the gospel. They were able to talk to the Parthenians in their own language, their own dialect. They even had the, they even had the, the accent, the dialect. They were able to speak to the folks from uh, 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 Greece in their dialect. And all these nationalities that were gathered, Jerusalem was a big metropolis, and like our big cities, and, and, uh, and, and, and they were able to preach and, and, and share the gospel in the languages of the people, and many, many were saved. What precipitated that great outpouring? A prayer meeting of 120 people in chapter 1 and verse 14 of Acts 120 people praying and the Holy Ghost came down. They were all, 120 of them, with one accord. The word accord there means purpose or mind. They all had the same mindset. What was it? The last thing Jesus told them before He left? In Luke chapter 24 verse 49 and Acts chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, the Great Commission. 
In Acts 1, 4 and 5, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But, and if you have your Bibles open, it's a red letter edition, you'll see the, church, the letters turn to red here, because Christ spoke these words, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Luke records it as this Jesus saying, This tarry ye here in Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. The Holy Ghost of God and the great outpouring of His Spirit and the multitudes and thousands being saved and baptized and added to the church was because a group of people, all 120 of them, in one accord, in one place. That's a local congregation of people. All in one accord, with one mind, in one place. And listen, may I submit to you, that is still God's plan for this age today. That's still what God wants. And God's Spirit, once poured out in Acts 2, can still be poured out today. And if our country, if our world, ever needed an outpouring of God's Spirit is today, my friend. You building? You need a group of people who are united in their purpose. Are you rebuilding? You need a group of people who are united in their purpose. Number two, go back to Ezra chapter 3. and The Bible said, after they gathered together as one man, verse 2, then stood up and Joshua, as it was a high priest, the son of Josedach, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, that's the governor, the son of Shealtiel. Look what they did. And his brethren and builded the altar of the God of Israel. You know what the second thing you need to do? You need to get back to the altar. You, hey, you want to build a Christian life? You want to build a life that honors the Lord? You want to rebuild a life that honors the Lord? Number one, you need to find a group of people united in purpose. You say, well, I don't know if it's God's will for me to be here. Then get where God wants you to be. Now, I think this church is the best thing since peanut butter. That's, you know, I'm a little biased, okay? And uh, I, if you're in a good church, you all think the same thing about your church. But let me say this. You need to get somewhere. And you need to get accountable to God, to His people, and get in there and get plugged in. Amen? Amen. Second thing you need to do is you need to get back to the altar. The altar of God was the first thing they did. They rebuilt the altar. Now, I understand that we use the term altar to describe this place up here at the front of the church. Sacred things happen here, weddings. Somebody says vows, sacred wedding vows at the altar. Folks come forward at the service and, and make commitments to the Lord at the altar. If I were to peel the carpet off of these steps and go back about five years, scores of you have your name signed here on these steps, along with Mrs. Shook and I and our family. Just signifying in that service, we wanted to be faithful to the Lord. Faithful to the Lord. And I don't, I don't just mean being loyal to... I'm talking about being loyal to truth. Amen, that's what I'm talking about. Amen. Faithful to the truth. And, 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 and this altar must be renewed. May I, may I say this? You go back in your mind just now. Do you remember where you were when you got saved? I have a picture of my office. I got saved in the cafeteria. <laughs> my dad led me to Christ, but... While the church was building an auditorium, we met in the school gymnasium and the school cafeteria was right across the hallway. And that's when my dad took me, showed me the gospel. 
and I received Christ as my Savior. And as an adult man, about 15 years ago, I guess, I went over there and I knelt down in the spot as close as I could find to the, to the place where I bowed my head and received Christ as my Savior. And that hangs in my closet there in my office. Go back in your mind for a moment to the place you trusted Christ as your Savior. Go back in your mind for a moment to the place where you knelt or walked an aisle. Maybe it was here. Maybe it was under a tent. Maybe it was at a camp. Maybe it's at a conference, some kind of youth activity somewhere where you said, I want, to, I want to serve the Lord in my life. I want to do something for God in my life. I want to be consecrated to Him. Listen, an altar is a place of sacrifice. The Bible said right after that, it says, it says His brethren, they built the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings. A burnt offering was an offering that was completely consumed. Some of the offerings they were used for meals and feasts and so forth like that. They, part of the offerings that were given apart was put on the altar. Part of was given to, the, to sustain the priests and Levites and so forth. The burnt offering was all consumed. The burnt offering went, was, signified complete and total consecration to the Lord. Go back to that place where your heart was consecrated to the Lord. Go back to that place where you said, yes, I want to be all in. I want to be completely and totally committed to Christ. Whether you're building or rebuilding, listen, if you want to build a life that honors God, if you want to rebuild a life that honors God, it means gathering with a people, a group of people who are like-minded and want to please God. That's their purpose in life. And who say, God deserves my all, not my leftovers, but my all. He says this then in number three. Right after that, the altar of God of Israel, they build the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings they're on. Here it is. Look at the phrase. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. That's the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Call it the Pentateuch. What's the next thing you need to do? Number three, you need to get back to the book. <laughs> you need to get back to the book. Amen. Get back to this book as your final authority. A lot of folks are, are, are patronizing the Bible in these days as though the Bible's a good book and it has value and it's, you know, some good things in there, some wise things in there. No, no, listen, listen, this isn't just a good book with some good sayings in it. This is God's eternal word and it ought to be the final authority for every born again believer and everything we say, everything we do, how we live our lives, what we believe. You need to get back to the book, get back to the book, get back to studying the book. Get back to the back to the. What's your journal look like right now? What's your, what's your what's your journal look like? What's your study? What's your notebook? You take your Bible notes in. What what you put in there lately? What have you underlined in your? I'm not talking about a message. I'm talking about while you're reading your Bible. What have you highlighted lately? What note have you written in the column next to a verse? What verse have you circled? What 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 what? what where, where, show me the page with 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 in your Bible where it's a little wrinkled because you just got got a hold of you and some tears fell down from your cheeks onto the pages of this book right here and you hungered for God to give you something out of this book and you fell in love with the verse. Uh, maybe one you never saw, one afresh and anew. Listen, I'm saying, if you want to build a life that's worthy of being called a child of God, you need to get back to this book. I'm talking about your book as your final authority. I'm talking about studying it. I'm talking about getting back under the preaching. I'm talking about, listen, listen, I, I, I like to read. I enjoy reading. I, I, I try to consume books and so forth. But let me tell you something. God's people, there's something about the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to salvage them that believe. Get you, sister, get you, uh, brother, brother, uh, uh, kill me was telling me about, listen to, uh, uh, Maze Jackson this morning. Tell me about a message here from Maze Jackson. Turn on Maze Jackson. Uh, 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 turn on Lester Roll. Turn on Brother House. Turn on, uh, uh, Brother Hudson. Uh, 
uh, uh, t- t- turn on the, these, these uh, men of God of yesteryear and, 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 and listen to the Word of God preach and expound it and feed your soul on this book right here. Keep reading with me if you would down. The Bible said they set the altar, verse 3, upon the bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, and, there, and even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as is written, and offered the daily, circle that word, burnt offerings by number, according to the custom as the duty, circle that word, of every day required. You know what they got back to? See that word daily? They got back to a daily walk. Folks, listen very carefully. I'm glad you're here. It's Sunday. We all be in church on Sunday. But Christianity isn't Sunday only. Christianity is seven days a week. Christianity is walking with God seven days a week. Amen? I'm thinking about the new year having church every day of the week. Um, that was supposed to be funny. But you all walk with God every day of the week. Amen? Every day of the week. The Bible says in the book of Acts, daily in the temple and every... Uh, how they cease not to preach and teach Jesus Christ and the Lord add to the church daily such as should be saved. You know what they were doing? They were busy for God every day of the week. They were witnessing every day of the week. I'm talking about getting back to a daily walk. The Bible said in that same verse, verse number four, it's circle the word duty if you haven't done it, duty. You know what? You know, we need, we need a, a renewed sense of duty. This is my duty as a Christian to walk with my God every day. God does not deserve to be pushed off to the side and say, I'll get back to you in three or four days. Or I'll get back to you next week. It's a daily walk. We get down to verse number 5 and offered afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and, and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated and of every one that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Verse 7, they gave money. Circle that. They gave money. Also unto the masons, and to the carpenters, and meat and drink and oil, and to them of Zidon, to them of Tyre. The work of God needed to be supported. I said, number one, you want to build or rebuild. Number one, you need a united purpose. Number two, get back to the altar. Number three, get back to the book. Number four, back to a daily walk. Number five, get your financial house in order. Get your financial house in order. Now, let me see how you do that. I'm going to give you four words. You might want to write them down. These are God's priorities. And by the way, you can, you can buck against this if you want to, but you're going to miss out on God's blessings. Here it is. You want to get your financial house in order? Here it is. Number one, the tithe. Number two, your bills. Number three, your needs. By the way, that means your needs and the needs of others. Sometimes you might neglect your own needs to meet a need of somebody else. Some of you have gone without, so you can make a sacrificial free will offering. That fits in this category. God puts a need in front of you. Sometimes you say, well, I'm going to go without so I can help somebody else. And then lastly, number four, your wants. Your wants. Number one, your tithe. Number two, your bills. Number three, your needs. Number four, your wants. There's so many things we have. We don't need them. They're nice to have. There's not anything wrong with having them. But if what we want takes the place of anything above this, our needs or the needs of others, or what it belongs to the Lord, or the commitments that we've made, the financial commitments that we've made, then our finances are out of order. If you want God's blessing and favor on your life, you're going to have to get your financial house in order. 
There's one more I want to show you. What does the Bible say in Matthew 6, 21? This is interesting to me. The fourth, excuse me, the fifth thing, get your financial house in order. What does the Bible say in Matthew 6? Where your treasure is there, what? Your heart be also. The last thing that happens here. We drop down to verse number 10. The Bible said, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with the trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang. Circle that. They sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because He is good for His mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And here in our text verse again, but many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice and many shouted, Aloud for joy we have in these two verses, singing, tears, and shouting. Here's the last thing. You want to build or rebuild? Get your heart back. Get your heart back. I know, listen, I know that Christianity starts with a foundation of doctrinal truth. We build our Christian life on the Word of God and the truth of God's Word and, and what we believe is more important than how we feel. But listen, when you, get your, when you get your doctrine right, let me tell you something, get your heart back. Get your heart back. And get your shout back. Get your sing back. Amen. Get your tears back. When you start your priorities and get back to the altar and go back and renew the commitments that once you made to the Lord when your heart was tender and go back and get your finances back in order which helps get your heart in order and go back and put the book in its proper place and get your daily walk back. Something will start happening on the inside. And, and, and I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing anybody but some of the things I've said this morning some of you didn't want to shout about. You didn't want to shout about it. You, listen, you know what the best thing to do is just say amen all the time. Amen. Nobody will know your backslidden then. Amen. amen. Some of us need to build. Amen. Some of us need to rebuild. But the formula is the same. The formula is the same. Would you bow your heads with me, please?